Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the One Step Better podcast. I am Mike Schaefer, and with me today is Greg Henderson. Uh, you guys know Greg from the podcast. He's been on a few times now. He'll be on here, I think, in a couple weeks in a row. Uh, Greg is going to be joining us where we're talking about a lot of different uh, leadership, HR, uh, you know, organizational struggles, ways that we can improve as, as leaders and as employees of different organizations. And so Greg is joining me today as we're going to talk about something that is really important and at the same time, in my opinion, we were talking about this before we hit record, and in my opinion, something that is uh, very lacking in a lot of organizations but matters greatly. And when it's not in place, a lot of organizations struggle and they a lot of times don't know how to start doing this. And so it's going to be a really good conversation where we're going to um, go back and forth on some ideas, maybe some things that you'll pick up along the way that can help you lead your organization better. If nothing else, you're going to hear our opinion about something that may be completely, completely wrong. And so uh, it'll be fun nonetheless. But before we get into that topic, we do have a great question of the day today. Um, it's one that I don't know if I really actually want, want to share. Um, and I'm probably going to have a behind-the-scenes conversation with Becky about putting this type of stuff on our podcast. Um, <laughs> but Becky came up with this question, and we have to ask it because it's on the sheet of paper that tells me I have to ask it. So, Greg, what is the most— oh, I haven't seen the question. <laughs> you, you get to be the one to start. What is the most embarrassing fashion trend that you used to rock? And by used to rock, it can be currently rocked. I mean, anything embarrassing that you, uh, I mean, you've been, you're old. You've been, you know, you grew up to the, or was alive in the 80s and 90s when different things may or may not should have been worn. Or... Yeah, I mean, I was always just a step below trend, right? <laughs> <laughs> you you weren't cool enough to have a trend. <laughs> I was doing the stuff that I thought was cool after the fact, uh, and then it became less cool. Um, I remember wearing turtlenecks um, all the time in like school, um, and then I realized that 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 was two three years ago, and so no yeah. one did that yet. Uh, tight rolling my jeans, right? Yeah, I, I remember doing roll. that. Um, but the I guess the craziest thing I rocked was. I thought um, hammer pants were awesome, and I used to wear them all the time. They now, were awesome. Now, now you have to a little bit of backstory. I I used to dance. I used to be a part of street dance. Uh, right, we're getting somewhere now. Um, yeah, back in my hometown. Um, so you did. You know, you actually went into a class and learned how to do the hammer, learned how to do the Roger Rabbit, right? And so I was all in that mode, and I was doing this, you know, cool stuff, and I was wearing hammer pants all the time and my mom actually came to me and she said you can't wear shorts today i mean it was i wore it that much so back to the dance moves um can you today like if you go out to the club or wherever you go do you do you still like throw down the dance moves i do i do yeah um probably a lot more than my wife would like me to. <laughs> like we were in Putacana for, you know, kind of our first honeymoon um, after being married for 12 years. Um, and so we're, we're out, you know, eating ni a nice dinner and there's just a, we're outside and there's, there's literally a dance floor right in front of us. 
It's got the you know the the slick kind of wood to it, so you can tell it's designed to be it a, dance a dance floor. floor. It's a dance floor. It's not sand. It's a dance floor. And so I turned to her, and you know, Vanilla Ice is playing, you know, and I'm just screaming it at the back. I mean, just just <laughs> I'm just rapping it because again, that's that's kind of where I grew up, and I'm just doing this. I'm trying to get her on the dance floor, and she just would not. And so I start dancing by myself. Um, you know, breaking out old moves that I haven't done since I was, you know, 10. Loved it, right? And she's, you know, burying her head and all that. But that's 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 who I am, right? I mean, I... I no shame. No shame, right? Uh, just just get out there and and, and embarrass yourself because it's a better story. If and you, everybody if you was do. circled around the dance floor laughing at, what is that kid doing? That's awesome. <laughs> it was pretty fun, though. That is, that is fun. What about you? Um, I, you know, there's probably the most embarrassing looking back on it, which I didn't think was a problem at the time, but it clearly, clearly was. If I look back at old pictures in, um, I guess really high school, probably not uh, maybe middle school, high school, but mostly high school. I, for like all four years, completely rocked a butt cut. Uh, and so my hair was parted straight down the middle, both sides. And I thought it was the, you know, the coolest thing ever. And man, if I go back and look at those pictures, because my hair, whenever my hair starts to get a little bit long, it gets wavy. Um, and so it kind of, it went out and then kind of curled under oh, yeah. oh, towards yeah. my eyes. <laughs> and so it just like, it looks like uh, kind of an upside down V. Uh, and those pictures are terrible, terrible. Um, that, But I thought it was cool at the time. Bacon, that looks cool right now. Am I my 16-year-old has a butt cut, and I and I, I clown him all the time. I'm like, Do you mean, we I made can, fun of people like you in I'll school. I'll share my pictures if just to dissuade him from going that route. I mean, it's, it's straight not straight cool. down the middle, just and it starts to curl yeah, a little bit because cool. it's long. It's not cool. I'm like, wow, wow. I, did, uh, I didn't really have the hammer pants, although I, I thought they were cool. I was, you know, Vanilla Ice, MC Hammer. Crisscross, uh, you know, jump, those were jump, all, baby. Those were all yeah. fun. Um, I did try to wear my jeans backwards uh, a few times. It did not, <clears throat> didn't, uh, didn't, didn't really work for me. I wasn't allowed out of the house. Yeah, I tried to. Didn't really work but, for yeah. me. Um, I did probably the stupidest thing that I that I did in the name of fashion is when I was like in fifth or sixth grade, I wanted some cool sneakers. I wanted some uh, Nike Air Max, and. My parents had a rule because I always – I anything that I wanted to buy, I always wanted to buy expensive stuff. So their rule was they'll spend $50 on a pair of shoes for me. Anything above that I had to pay. And so I really wanted these shoes. And they were $140. And so my parents paid 50 and I paid 90 Who knows who picked up the tax? And uh, I got those Nike Air Max, and I thought they were the coolest shoes ever. And looking back on it now, especially now that I have kids that like nice things too – um, and Cameron, Cameron, right now he's he wants some Nike Air Force Ones that are you know pretty expensive. Yeah. And uh, triple that. I think about it now, and it's like, man, I spent ninety dollars of my ninety dollars for like a middle school kid is a lot of money. I had to cut a lot of grass to get that ninety bucks, and to spend it on stupid <laughs> shoes because they were you know trendy or whatever. Um, that that was just insane. That was insane. Uh, but the butt cut was probably the most embarrassing. <laughs> and when you, when no you... one called me out on it. <laughs> if I had good friends, a good friend would have come up to me and said, "Hey, hey, Michael, 
you, uh, you, you, you can't do this anymore. Like, I know you think it's cool. It's not. You need to change up your hair. And I probably wouldn't have listened to them, but a good friend would have done that. And so that brings us to the point that we're going to talk about today, because I did not have a good friend in high school to come up and hold me accountable to the haircut that I had. It has led to all the organizations in the world having accountability issues. And so today is the day where we're going to lay bare everything accountability and help us as an organization and help our listeners as they're leading their organization develop some thoughts and ideas around accountability. So the first thing that I want to do is kind of frame our conversation by when we say accountability, what does that actually mean? Because accountability is one of those words that has a deep importance and deep meaning, but is buzzworded enough to where we can say, you know, we want an accountable culture and no one really knows what that means. And so whenever we talk about accountability, and I'd like to get your thoughts, Greg, what I think of and what I want us to talk about specifically is accountability is the idea that everybody on my team has to be held to a standard. And when they're not meeting that standard, someone has to come along. And if it's my team, that responsibility falls on me as the leader. And I cannot delegate that because delegating accountability conversations is really abdication. And it's, uh, it's up to me as the leader to go to that person and say, you're not meeting the standard, and this is what we're going to do about to fix it. So that's one piece of it. The other piece of accountability that is harder to do, but I think is just as, if not more important, is holding our team to a behavioral standard that is very clear and calls and call them out whenever they're not hitting those behavioral standards, which can be as simple as, you know what, you are clicking a pin anytime we're in a meeting and I want that to stop to, you know what, you gossip about everybody on our team and that has to stop, you know, whatever it may be, small, big, it's the leader's responsibility to go to that person and hold them to the standard that's set. And sometimes that standard is spoken. Sometimes that standard is unspoken, but it's the standard as you as a leader are setting the bar for your team and actually holding them to that standard. So that's when I think about accountability, that's kind of where I start with. That's, it's interesting that you would you start at the leadership level. Um, I would start a level above that and make sure that the leaders who are holding other people accountable actually have someone who is telling them, hey, this is, this is what you need to do. This is how you need to, to you know, run your company and run your business. Do you mean that from the standpoint of leaders holding themselves accountable or their other, you know, the leadership team themselves being accountable or like an outside influence? I think it could be all. All you know, all whatever is is resonates within that leadership team. If you feel that it's that someone on the team can be that 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 voice of reason to get us on the same page, sure. But if you are maybe starting a new business and you got a lot of new leaders at the strategic or you know executive level, then maybe you outsource that out and bring somebody in and says, "Hey, this is kind of what I'm thinking. You know, what's your thoughts on this process?" Um, I think that's that accountability piece that we can lay in the foundation. So, again, it trickles down. It cascades down through the organization. Again, once you come from the top, top-led, bottom-up refinement, everyone's on the same page. Yeah. I, I do think that accountability has to start on the leadership team. And in a healthy organization, if you do have a leadership team, everyone on that team is going to feel um, – you know, tr they're going to trust their other teammates to be able to say, 
hey, you did this, or you said you were going to do that, and you didn't, or you know, whatever it may be. Um, you know, you know, quit smacking whenever you're eating, or right. you know, don't chew gum in this meeting, or everything from you. You know, you said you were going to sell X widgets, and you sold Y widgets, and that's not okay. Or it's hey, we have a, a an everyday meeting at eleven thirty. Stop missing it. Yeah. Right. It shouldn't have to be the owner. It should be anybody on the team because of that standard that you have up, uphold. You're trying to uh, there, accountability to me. It, it's not ranked. It's not title based. It's if we're if everyone has the same idea of the standard that any given time I can come to you and say, hey, this is you're not doing this. Absolutely. I agree with you 100 percent in a health in a healthy organization, in an unhealthy organization or in an organization where values aren't really clearly communicated, defined, or, or uh, anybody's held to, where there's a lack of accountability, people aren't going to feel as comfortable having that conversation. Hey, you said you were going to be at this meeting and you weren't, or whatever it may be. And so I want us to explore the idea of if we're an unhealthy organization and we don't have a cultural culture of accountability, how do we start to get there? And what are some practical you know, um, ideas that we could start to implement that's going to help move that needle to get us to the point of where we're a healthy organization. Because I believe that accountability is um, a great indicator of organizational health. If you have a team of people that are holding everybody else accountable, then you're doing something right from a cultural standpoint. The organization is is moving along because every, everybody understands the same values. Everybody understands we're going to talk about those values. Everybody understands that we're going to hold others to our values. And like you mentioned, that's not necessarily from leader to, to subordinate, but across peer groups um, to be able to say, hey, you know what, Greg? You know That's not how we, we behave here, and you're behaving that way. Um, there's a level of trust that comes with that. There's a lot of other things that have to pour into having a healthy, yeah. accountable organization. But if where that is lacking – Let's talk about some ways in which that needs to start. And I think the number one thing or the number one idea to, to, to understand that accountability in a healthy organization starts with accountability of leadership. Whoever the leader is of your organization, if they're not comfortable with account with holding their their team, their peers, their you know, direct reports, whoever it may be, whoever they're directly responsible for, the leader of the organization, if they're not responsible and able to do that, then you have real no chance almost of actually developing a culture that has accountability as a high value. Yeah, I mean, I, there's not much to say to that. Um, if, the, if it doesn't start at the leader, we used to say this, what I care about is what the leader cares about. Right, I'm going to put time and energy on the things that my boss cares about because at some point I'm going to need to show him, hey, I care about what you care about. So in turn, I care about the the firm or I care about the company. If values are not part of his thing and, and he doesn't understand accountability is needed to grow a healthy organization, then I'm not going to care about it either. And so if, again, if I don't have the morals and the character it's tough yeah right it, it's the idea that that umbrella thing that you you know you've referenced a, a couple times if i can't agree with whoever's holding the umbrella then i need to get out from under that umbrella and go somewhere you go else. find somewhere else yeah yeah and the hard the hard part about as a leader 
the hard part about understanding that accountability starts with me is that it causes me to have to look in the mirror and say, what am I not doing correctly that is causing my organization to get off track? And that's not an easy place for a lot of leaders to be. If you're not, you know, if you're, if you are heavy in pride and you think you're, you're the best thing ever and, you know, for whatever reason, you're blowing and going and kicking butt and doing well, it's hard to stop, push pause, look in the mirror and say, this is something I struggle with because admitting that you struggle with something is difficult. And so as me as the leader to be able to look in the mirror and say, you know, this is how I deal with accountability, you know, with keeping my team accountable. And if it's just simply, you know what, I'm going to hire people that are competent, that have experience, that can figure it out on their own, and I'm just going to let them go, then that's not much accountability going on in that organization. There's the famous quote, hire great people and then get out of their way. Um, you know, I love the, the heart behind that, which is great people are going to do a lot of great things, but it's not accurate because great people need guardrails. They need direction. They need a goal to go chase down. And it's the leader's responsibility to give them that especially if you're the owner, CEO, you know, executive team of an organization, it's your responsibility to set the pace and set the target and unleash your team to go get, to go get the, whatever that may be for your company. And as the leader, if you can't look in the mirror and say that I'm willing to do that, then you're going to miss the mark 100%. Leadership is, is servanthood. That, that's all it is. To say, to, to say you're, I'm a servant leader is redundant. Um, there is no leadership without servanthood. And in order to serve the team means that I'm going to have to hold my team accountable to the direction that we're heading. And if I'm not willing to do that, I need to step out of the leader chair and find somebody that I can put into that chair that's going to do that. And that's a difficult thing to admit if I'm you know, the owner, founder, longtime CEO, whatever it may be, to be able to admit this is something I struggle with. And, and it, because of that, it's bottlenecking my organization and in some times completely derailing my organization. Uh, there's a lot of, um, you know, self, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the self-awareness to be able to say that. And it's, it's going to take some time if, if that's not natural for you. Yeah, it has to be coached um, if you don't. I mean, I, I don't think anybody... I mean, it's tough, right? I mean, I, I, I remember an HR mentor told me, he's like, I don't, I don't like doing executive leadership training. And I always th thought that was fascinating. Like, why? Why would you not want to instill upon this knowledge and, and wisdom at the toppest level? And he's like, because they've been doing it for so long and they're being successful at it, they're not going to listen to me. And so that's, uh, gosh, I, I, I would hate for one to be a part of a leadership team that at the, at the, top of that leader was so arrogant that he couldn't listen to people around him to get to get better yeah um so we that i mean to me that would be just tough not I mean, a, that's not going to be a, a place that a lot of high performing people are going to be attracted to right and i think that's a i think it's a huge takeaway right so are you know if you're that leader who is who does not have the accountability bone um, and he has no, has no desire to <laughs> learn or, or be taught that, that accountability piece. I, I think you're losing a lot of high performing team or high, high before performing people because great employees leave bad teams. Yeah. Great employees leave bad teams. 
And a lot of times it's a bad team because it's a bad leader. Right. Um, so let's talk a little bit about kind of why this is important. Um, I, th- I think it's important to understand accountability as being a really important thing to, to a value to, to get into your organization. And it can't just be something you plaster on the wall. But, and here's, here's a couple of reasons why. What you hold as important is going to be something that is measured on some level, right? Um, and whether that measurement is written down, understood, clearly communicated, or if it just stays in my head. So to use my um, example that I always talk about is if I own a bakery, I am the owner of this bakery, I'm the CEO of this bakery, and I got 50 employees that are working for me, whatever it may be. And all those employees are responsible for baking cookies. There's a couple ways I can go about doing this. One is I could simply say, hey, guys, we got to make, you know, a thousand cookies this year. Or, you know, if I have 50 employees, hopefully I'm making more than just to make it easy. We're going to make a thousand cookies this year. And uh, my I can I can then take the position as CEO, leader, president, whatever, founder, who whatever you want to call me. Um, I've told my employees what our goal is now, if. You, as the employee, are only making five cookies a day, 10 cookies a day, or whatever. You may be thinking, hey, you're doing well. I may be thinking there's no way we can hit our target of 1,000 cookies a year because Greg is only making five cookies. And now there's a gap in clarity. There's a gap in communication because what I said is our big picture goal. I didn't break down to the small picture goal. I'm frustrated because you're not making a small picture goal, but you think you are because you don't, you've never been told what the small picture goal is on the micro level. And so now there is a conversation that is pending for, for me as the CEO, leader, whatever you want to call me. That decision on my end is now, do I go to Greg and say, Greg, you're not cutting it because you're making five and I needed 10. Or do I maintain the peace in, of the organization, in my head at least, to say Greg is at least making five and it can't be that bad. I'll just have Becky over here make 15, average it out, it's 10 and we're good, right? A lot of leaders are afraid to go to have the conversation with Greg in a way that says, hey, Greg, it's supposed to be 10. You're making five. How are we going to get to 10? You know, what can we do to improve your efficiency or whatever it may be? I know that's a very simplified explanation, but I also see a lot of leaders that will take that second approach. And because of the difficult conversation that it requires me to have with Greg and get in, out of my comfort zone and into the details of what's going on and have that, you know, confrontation to say, Greg, you're not cutting it. I may just ignore you altogether, which is abdication on my end of my responsibility, my job as the leader. And instead, I may have a conversation with Becky and say, hey, Becky, and, you know, Greg over there is not cutting it. Maybe I don't even say that. Maybe I just say, hey, hey, Becky, I need you to produce 15 because you're you're killing it at 10 and you're doing a great job at that. And so I'm going to pump Becky up and tell her how great of a job she's doing and then raise her bar to 15. And Becky's over here thinking, "Okay, cool. Now I got 15. In the back of her mind, sometimes in the front of her mind, she's also thinking, why do I have to do 15 when Greg only has to do five? And eventually, that will lead to the point where Becky says, I have to carry the weight of everybody on my team because I have a poor leader that's not willing to hold them to the same standard that I'm being held, even though we're in equal jobs. And Becky, who's now the rock star baker, is going to a different company because this is not a place she wants to work anymore. 
And so if you're afraid to have difficult conversations with underperforming people, then at some point your high performers are going to look at that and see it for what it is, a lack of leadership, and find a leader that they do want to be under. Because the thing that we always have to remember, high performers want to be led. They want feedback. They want encouragement. They want direction. They want the guardrails to know that they're doing a good job. That comes from leadership conversations, both the positive and the negative, to say, this is what you're doing well, this is what you need to improve on. High performers, they crave that type of feedback. And if they don't get it, eventually, they're going to go find it somewhere else. I love that you say standard. I'm trying to teach all the people I talk to is to drop the word minimum from your vocabulary when you talk about standard. It's the winning standard. There is no minimum or I don't, I don't care about minimum. It's what winning looks like in this role. And so, again, that's that conversation that you have to have and that feedback behavior that we have to build in. Because what, what happens if this, if you tell me, hey, I need you to bake 10 cookies every single day before nine o'clock. And we've never had that conversation, but you, you're, you're just telling me, hey, I need you to bake 100, uh, you know, 1,000 cookies this year. If we don't build in the feedback and the accountability loop, then what if I don't have the supplies enough, enough supplies in order to hit the goal? Yeah. Yeah. The, you know, clarity and communication really can solve a lot of this problems or not, not necessarily solve it, even though, you know, what I'm trying to say is clarity can provide framework to have these conversations. That's not surprising. So in your example, if, if the, if the goal was you had to produce 10 cookies by 9 a.m. every day. Guess what you don't need? You don't need me coming to you at 9.01 and saying, hey, you failed. Right. You already know that to be true. What you need from me is, to, is me coming to you and say, Greg, you, you know you missed a mark. I know you missed a mark. How can we actually get you to hit that mark tomorrow? That's what you actually need as a growing employee, developing employee in my company. If I'm simply coming in at 9 o'clock and saying, all right, Greg, how'd you do? even though we both know we didn't do well, um, then that's just defeating. And it's not helpful well, It anyway. wastes time, too. Yeah. The, the leader's responsibility, you know, whether you are a solopreneur and you have one person working for you or you have a team of 50 people working for you, the leader's responsibility primarily more than anything else and by far um, more important than anything else is to develop your team. You have to develop your team. And if you do not develop your team, then you're never going to reach your 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 potential, and eventually, your your high performing team is or your, they're going to walk out the door, and you're going to be stuck with what you got. Um, and so, if you don't spend time holding your team accountable to their actions, their behaviors, then eventually you're gonna you're gonna reap the rewards of not doing that, which is not going to be great. So. You know, a lot of the people that we work with and, you know, Patrick Accounting is a small business accounting firm, as most people know, works. We deal with um, HR and, and employee related uh, issues, payroll benefits, whatever it may be for small and medium sized companies across the country. We deal with a lot of, I'll say, founder owner people that don't have a strong leadership team or maybe it's just a couple people on their leadership team. So for those people. How do, you, how do you think you can develop the accountability for yourself in order to be able to push accountability down to others? If I'm the, 
maybe it's just me. I'm the only person on my leadership team. I'm the owner of the company. I got 10 people working for me. How do I develop that as a leader in order to be able to, to push that down to my team? So the first way that we always talk about when we talk about, uh, you know, owners and founders and the CEOs or, you know, the, you know, again, this that one person in charge, it's the thing that I try to get everyone to, to just understand. And I stress this out when we talk about employee relations is you have to be consistent and transparent. You have to, again, consistent. It doesn't matter if Greg was supposed to bake 10 cookies and didn't, if I let Greg bake anything less than 10 cookies, which is the standard, I've now created a new standard and that's not consistent. And so it doesn't matter if Becky and is right beside me baking 15. Well, reward Becky for a job well done above and beyond, but make Greg the standard to get to, get to 10. Yeah. And then transparent, right? So again, we there's a misnomer out there that, that as, in, as uh, owners, we... We think that the other employees don't realize how we treat other employees. And I think that's just a just a false statement. They look exactly at because if you let me get away with five and the standard's ten, well then what makes Becky want to do ten? All your peers will also know that you're doing five and getting away with it. Absolutely. Issues. And I'm laughing about it in the break room. Yeah. I mean, we again, this is a misnomer that employees don't talk to each other. Of course they talk to each other. Yeah. Hey, I came in at 9.30, work calls 9, no one's said anything to me, and uh, you know, I'm only going to get 5 today. It was a hard weekend. <laughs> I showed up late because I'm still hungover. I'm still hungover, and no one even realized it <laughs> because you know, no one cares. Yeah. You've yeah. got to be consistent, and you've got to be transparent. The big thing here that I, I think that I want our listeners to understand is accountability starts with you. It starts with you saying to the people that you are responsible for, look, this is what we are expecting to do. And maybe maybe the conversation needs to develop into and you aren't doing it. Right. Right. So here here's some here's some ways in which uh, I I try to me personally try to do that with my team. Um, anytime that there's a, a a difficult conversation that has to be had I start that conversation with acknowledging that it's difficult. So let's say that Greg, um, let's say something, it's something a little bit uh, more subjective than you baked five instead of 10. Let's say instead um, Greg constantly misspells and has grammar issues in his email. Um, something completely made up. I don't think Greg sh- actually struggle, struggles with grammar. I don't know. I haven't read very many of your emails. <laughs> Maybe I should before I go too far into this. But let's just say that's it. Greg, Greg struggles with, you know, this is a little thing. It's not huge, but in our world, that shows a lack of professionalism. Uh, it, it shows that he may not know what's going on. It may show that he's being really quick to respond instead of, you know, thinking through what he's actually saying. In our world, that's not consistent with what we would want to portray. So I now, as Greg's leader, it's my responsibility to call Greg out on this issue. So here's exactly how I would handle that. I would, hey, Greg, let's, let's, let's go you know, meet together. You could do that off-site. You could do it in your office. Who cares where it's, it's done? I don't really have a preference there. I typically do it in my office just because it sets a tone of that we're here to talk business and not you know, just you know, goof off. Right. Um, and so I would start the conversation not with... Hey, Greg, how's it going? How's your day? Um, you know, tell me about your weekend. Anything like that. I don't start with anything positive and then try to make a transition. I start the conversation with, 
hey, Greg, I got something really awkward that I need to talk to you about. Because in your brain, I've now set the stage of, all right, this is going to be a weird conversation. This isn't like just a normal, it's something different than a normal conversation we may have. And I'm going to say the words, this is difficult for me to say to you. And at the same time, it's going to be difficult for you to hear from me. But I want you to understand that the reason that we're having this conversation is because it's something that I need to change about your behavior. And I'll, I'll be flat out very transparent and say, Greg, the emails that I see you write are filled with grammar mistakes, typos, and you know whatever else it may be. Right. And that has to change. And so here's some ways in which we can go about getting that fixed. You need to spell check everything. You need maybe you need to go through like grammar school or whatever. I may have some suggestions in place for that. But this is not a time to have a conversation about, you know, why do you think that you write that way? You know, that that's that doesn't matter because the only thing that does matter is how are we going to prevent this in the future? And by setting the tone at the very, very beginning to say, hey, this is an awkward conversation. This is a difficult conversation. This is going to be difficult to hear, whatever. You're setting the precedent and the tone in the, and for that conversation that we're talking about serious stuff. I'm acknowledging that this is going to be difficult for you to hear. And now it's kind of, you. it helps get the guards down. Because, and the reason I do it like that, for me personally, and this may work for you guys, it may not. For me personally, I have a tendency to start conversations with, hey, Greg, how's it going? This is your weekend, you know, and it comes across as fake as soon as I say, well, the reason I brought you in is because I want to talk about, you know, your performance or your behavior, your missteps, whatever it may be. Everything that just happened before that just seems fake. It, that, this is just how I, and that may not be everybody, that's just how I take it. And so I don't like to start that way. So if you're having a difficult conversation with me, what would that look like for you? So I, I'm a little old school in this regard. I like to have a counseling session, right? And so it's a formalized process. If we've taken the time out of, I want it to be written down, not to hold it against you, but just to understand that this is serious. And I took the time to write it down and I'm going to give you a copy and I'm going to read it. And I'm going to say, Hey, you know, on these dates that I realized that the, you know, and I'm going to be, be very specific hey, and actually call it out on the piece of paper and then have a plan of action written already out before you get there. So again, this, this is not a, this is not You're a such an HR guy. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's so generic. This, is, thing this to do. is such, this is a one way conversation, right? Yeah. Now that it, it gets to a two way conversation when we talk about how we can help each other get to the state. But it doesn't start that way. But it does not start that way. Yep. It's I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm not asking you, this is your performance development counseling. This needs to get better. And we, and you sign it and we move on. Now, that is just, again, it, it's, it sets a tone to let you know that, again, it's, it's, it's transparent, it's specific, it's understanding that this is the standard and you've yet to make the standard. Again, something's very subjective as grammar. Because maybe I'm thinking, well, it's only two words. Yeah. It was only two words. Like, what? Again, you've called me out before this meeting, and we're actually scheduling the counseling session. Okay, I know I'm going to call it a counseling session because it is. It is I'm a, trying to help you. I'm, I'm, it is not personal. It is professional. I'm trying to get you one step better. And not even that, just to add into that, because it, it's, not, it's not about personal or professional. It's about my job is to help you develop and get better. I can't do that unless we talk about the things you're not doing well. Right. And it is 
and a play it comes out of and this is only this only happens in healthy organizations that have trust already built it's important to understand if you don't have trust you don't have relationships with your people Forget this could it. be a nightmare and it's yeah. never going to you know be helpful this is p and you're on your own a right 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 and so as as i have that trust and if you did that to me we trust each other enough to where you when you start to go through that or this is what's going on in my head all right, this is serious because it's written down and I've got to sign, you know, that's serious. But at the same time, I know that you're trying to help me and that this is not, this is where I, it's important to have those types of conversations completely separate. Don't call it the same thing. Don't, um, don't, don't schedule it the same way. Don't talk about it the same way as actually perform. I'll say like when it comes time to fire an employee or discipline of an employee, you know, because Hey, you stole from the company is a different conversation than, hey, your email grammar is terrible, right? right? And so you don't want you don't want your person come. All right, Greg scheduled that via, you know, his assistant, and now I know what's going on. You don't you want to be able to not have those lines, you know, blended. That this is a helpful development conversation versus this is a right the same way you do your development for professional growth. You know, quarterly you you schedule that same you know, the same mode of operation, whatever you do for, to schedule one-on-ones. Yeah. It's just another one-on-one instead of the type is just changing instead of professional development and growth. Now it's performance development counseling. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's important to, uh, uh, to, 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 to point out. And the last thing I'll say, and then we can kind of wrap it up because I know that we're probably going a little bit long here, um, is if you are part of a leadership team or maybe you are the leader and you don't have anybody that's actually holding you accountable, you need to find that person that you trust and ask them to hold you accountable. Uh, accountable. Remember, your job as the leader is to lead your team, and you can't lead your team unless you're being led. And being led is something that you have to seek out too. Leadership is not a position to, um, to, to try and go for if you're afraid of hard work or you aren't wanting to to put in you know the effort or you don't like serving others or helping others then please for all <laughs> for all sake don't try to be a leader um, you know it's a misnomer whenever you hear you know what I hope you all develop into great leaders and you know what I hope so too but some of you don't need to be leaders at all and so um, you know if you're this if you're the sole person you need to find somebody and invite them into your life in a way that is open transparent and that you're gonna listen to you could do that through you know uh, a consultant, business coach. Um, you may have somebody on your team that you trust and maybe your spouse, but somebody needs to be able to speak into your life in a way that is, hey, you screwed this up and you need to fix it. Um, that direct, that type of tone uh, that you li- actually listen to. And if you don't have that person, you need to find that person. You need to find them fast because they'll help you uh, develop yourself and go a long you've way. you got some flight risk around you if you haven't got that done. That's prob- probably true, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's that's accountability. Really fun conversation. There's a lot of books that's been written about it, um, and so uh, hopefully that this just kind of adds some things to your calendar, your your schedule to think about a little bit, and how you hold your team accountable. Um, last week, Greg, uh, you were here. We talked a little bit about uh, leadership. Actually, we talked a lot about leadership. Kind of uh, had a pretty long conversation, um, and so the question that came in from last week's conversation uh, was essentially this: uh, How do I start leading? When I am not a leader, that strikes me so so differently than it may have you. I think everyone's a leader. 
I think everyone has a, has a chance and the ability to be in a leadership position. So how do you start being a leader if you're not leader? I, I, I'm going to get caught up in that, and I don't need to. Um, I'll let you answer, then I'll, I'll respond. I don't. I, I would describe, I don't think everybody is a leader. I think there are people that are, you know, naturally gifted that lead others, and some that because of their title they're a leader but shouldn't be. Um, I don't. I don't think everybody's a leader, but the reality is, if you're in a position where you aren't like by title a leader, um, and you find people that are actually looking to you and following, then in fact you are a leader. Um, and so I would. I would because this to when I read this, I kind of get the impression that maybe it's not a person that has a title yet they fall you know found, found themselves in a position of leadership and so my my, my recommendation would just just start to do it um, you know don't wait for somebody to come pat you on the back and say hurry now you're the director of XYZ or you're the you know whatever title that you think a leader has leadership but, is way beyond title yeah that's I appreciate you you kind of framing that a little bit di- little bit different for me. What if what if we do this? What if um, if we're part of a team and we're not the leader of the team, but we have aspirations of being the leader? Then maybe we ask the leader. Maybe there's a meeting that that's been held once a week, and we ask that leader, "Hey, um, can I lead that meeting next month? This is a topic that I think is is important. I think we should go over. Maybe it goes into that. So again, you're not waiting for somebody. You're actually showing that you you're, you're kind of owning this this situation yeah. a little bit, and then you're 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 trying to show them that you're hungry for leadership. Yeah, if you want to be a leader and you're not in a position of leadership, I would recommend that you read a whole 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 lot. If you don't already, you need to start, and you need to read a whole lot about because leaders are readers, and it's the way that you're going to develop. And what you'll find in those endeavors is that you develop yourself in a way that. Um, it starts to just naturally occur. I just start to naturally begin to lead people. Leadership is not a title. It's not a formality. It's not a ceremony that where you get crowned. Now you are the leader. Because here's the deal. There's a plenty of leaders in the world that nobody follows, or at least they don't want to follow. Um, and, and so you know, it, it just it depends upon your, your circumstance. But uh, yeah, you know, if you want to be a leader, more. You know, it, call back. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you want to be a leader and you're, uh, you don't find yourself in a position of leadership, it, and also it could be you're not ready for it. You're, maybe you're not mature enough. Maybe you don't have the skill set, uh, technical skills yet. Um, who knows what? Um, and so go to, go to the person that is your leader and just simply ask the question, hey, how can, I, how can I serve you better? How can I help advance the mission of our organization, whatever that may be? Um, and you know that starts to show humility, that yeah. gets more responsibilities. How cool um, would that be, right? How can I take some stuff off your plate to help you out? Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. I if, there's been multiple occasions whenever I've had people on my team come to me and simply say, "Hey, Mike, how can I, how can I take stuff off your plate?" And those are conversations that you, I, you remember. Yes, let's sit. We let's talk about them because whenever you start to show a desire to take on more responsibility then that that's typically a starting place I can work with. Now sometimes it's you're not you may be asking you're not ready yet and we'll and I'll you know we'll have that conversation. Sure. Um, but a lot of times it's all right, you're you're ready. Yeah. And now it's just time to it's, go. It's one of my top three things I look for on potential leadership is drive. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Greg, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us this afternoon. I really appreciate you uh, taking time out of your busy schedule. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> talking about accountability. And if you guys are out there listening, thank you very much for joining us today. If you have questions, feel free to send them in to one step better at patrickaccounting.com. Remember, if your question makes it on our podcast, we're going to send you some swag. And so if you want some Patrick Accounting and uh, work swag, then just send us a question. 
we'll be glad to answer them. Otherwise, leave us a comment, leave us a review, and uh, we'll be glad to hear from you. Thanks, everybody. Y'all have a great day. Bye.